1: and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers.
0: Yo. There are certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this.
1: Hi, this is Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen. And today we're going to do our spotlight talking about Hillary Clinton's book um but which is called What Happened and just came out. So we haven't had a chance to read it, and I haven't had a chance to read it in depth. Um But I think there's a lot of themes around it that are really important to discuss. I was talking to you, Lynn, though, about how, you know, there's so much going on in the news, so many different things, and I wanted to highlight some of the other things going on, too, just to show that just because we cover this one spotlight doesn't mean that there are not like other
0: things to talk about. Yeah, I think that's really important. And we wanted to focus on this book, we've been kind of waiting for it. And it was amazing to read it even in a single day. And up at these other subjects, you know, which you are going to mention one about uh, a member of the LGBT community here in San Francisco, uh, being shot and how that's really not showing up in the press.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the important things to cover is I think, you know, because of the whole political experiences that we've gone through recently, I think it's made us all much more attuned to how media and the news play a role in the American general population's minds. And I think the fact that, so you're talking about the shooting of Bubbles, which um, he was a beloved member of the SF, LGBT community, and what a lot of people in that community noticed is that there was very little reporting of it, and I think through pressure, finally, the SF Chronicle posted something about it, but I think it speaks a lot to that sense of feeling oppressed, feeling silenced, not being given a voice, and being marginalized, and I think that plays a big role in a lot of the conversations that we have, especially around the arena of sex and sexuality.
0: And especially for what's termed sexual minorities. We're yeah. not sure how much a minority they are, but, you know, they're really treated differently. And it's not talked about in major news venos. So it's very important.
1: And it is incredibly important because it is a death of somebody and it was a homicide. It was a targeted shooting. And I think that's such a terrible thing.
0: It's also a hate
1: crime. It's a hate crime. And it. I think what's so remarkable about it, too, for some people is it, it's it happened in a city that's supposed to be kind of this token of welcoming in inviting environment. And so I think the fact that it happened here is rocking a lot of people in the community, too. Yeah. So the other thing, <laughs> there's all these terrible things, but it's important to talk about, you know, the other thing is the Seattle mayor, Ed Murray, or Murray, I don't know how he says his name. But he um, has been accused of child sexual abuse. I guess it had been by four different people. And the final straw seems to have been that his cousin came out and said, so he's the fifth fifth boy man who um, said that this mayor... Um, abuse them. And and after this came out, the mayor has decided to resign. But I think there's a lot of important things there. We've talked about the importance of acknowledging that men can be sexually abused. I think also the fact that he is a democratic and openly gay mayor. So really acknowledging that this is not about political parties or sides, it's about power. I mean, so there's so much that
0: could be. And you also see with that... uh some of the patterning with male sexual abuse, which is really a family member will be abused. There'll be abuse within the family, then it spreads outward. And often it's not one child's voice, but many as it is in this situation.
1: Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, you would think after four, four accusations that you would already consider maybe resigning, but it was really not until this family member spoke up and shared their experience that the mayor has decided to resign. I think another thing that I find very interesting is that because we work very closely with sexual abuse, what I see particularly around the legal system is when someone has been accused of sexual abuse, which we've talked about, Mm -hmm. a lot of kids, a majority of kids do not lie about this happening, or even teens, you know, coming forward. The, let me see if I'm getting the word right, the perpetrator or the accused very often focuses on
0: the fact that the abuse is alleged.
1: Have you noticed that uh-huh. as well?
0: Well, it's certainly in court. They say it every single moment. You know, it's yeah. every, the adjective's always there. Yeah. But you know, I think even more so, knowing the statistics that ninety-five to ninety-seven percent of children are telling the truth, right. and only ten percent of children who've been abused come forward. Yeah. So, knowing this you realize how often it's accurate and you know how the the system is skewed in many ways to protect the abusers and I think that's the the thing that's so hard you know these are often the people in power the children are not right. and the system protects them yeah yeah you know, so it's a struggle the whole way it's a long battle we have here <laughs>
1: it is a long battle and we've talked about that too you know and And speaking of battles, I think the other book that came out as well was um, the one written by Katie Turr, and her book is called Unbelievable, and I think that's a very fitting title in the sense that so much of what happens has happened recently, too. So many people look at it, and I think it's like, wow, that's unbelievable, and what I've noticed is one of the biggest, I think the statistics back this up, but I didn't research them for, for speaking here, so I don't want to misquote them, but I do believe the statistics back up that one of the biggest fears of people not speaking up about the abuse or assault that they've experienced is that they won't be believed.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about those statistics? Well, with children, um, there are studies on children who said they won't come forward because they don't think they'll be believed, yeah with adult women i i don't know if there are those studies, okay, but you ask women why they don't come forward, right. and they certainly say that, yeah, so having this young woman reporter newswoman come forward and talk about this is really key. Maybe say what the abuse is that she's talking about, because I think that's relevant.
1: Yeah, so she experienced sexual assault at the hands of our current president, and Mm -hmm. it was an unwanted kiss that that he planted on her cheek, basically. And I think, um, I don't know if you've read as much about it, I haven't read the book yet, but from reading excerpts, what it sounds like is what I see, and maybe it's more of a therapist's understanding, is there was a whole grooming process that was involved in it. You know, he didn't just go up to her and do this. It was a whole process of attacking her, trying to undermine her confidence, trying to power over her. He called her little Katie in in this very kind of taunting, demeaning way. And then this happened. And I think what I find interesting in reading, you know, Facebook comments and things is a lot of people are saying why didn't she speak out? Why didn't she say this? Why is the news media not saying, you know, instead of saying that he planted an unwanted kiss on her, why are they not saying like she was sexually assaulted by this person? And I think we brought some of that up in one of our spotlights on why victims don't
0: speak up and uh the media will normalize sexual behavior. Oh, it's just an unwanted kiss instead of It really is this type of assault. Right. It's a violation
1: of someone's body
0: boundaries. Exactly. And they miss the grooming process, which is really uh, very demeaning. I think a lot of women still don't understand being kissed and touched and called intimate names by a boss or person in power is to demean your power. And I think that's often not understood. I think we talked about it when I was riding on an airplane, and the flight attendant was trying to do this. And you know, the struggles you have around speaking out are are hard.
1: Speaking out, I think, is a very hard thing. And I think a big part of what I want to highlight in all of these different things that I brought up was really I was thinking about how powerful it is. You you have to find your voice, and if you don't have your voice how do you find somebody and amplify their voice? Because these voices matter. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. And all together, we are stronger talking.
1: Absolutely. And so that brings us to this book about Hillary and sort of her using her voice. So um, I'm going to hand it over to you a bit more because you were able to read more of the book. But certainly, like, you know, I'll contribute my thoughts about it as well.
0: Well, first, I want to thank Hillary Clinton for writing this book Uh, It was uh, amazing to read, and uh, she was more candid uh, than she's been in other venues, and which I think is very important. And it was closer to a conversation with all of uh, us, you know, all of the the women and men in this country. So I think it's valuable for anyone to read it. But with that in mind, you helped me, Jennifer, even this morning when we started to talk about it. I think it's important to say, Hillary still. Uh, feels in this book, or it's evident to me, and this is my perspective, that she's trying to defend herself and her actions. And she spends a lot of time, you know, addressing the email scandal, addressing the struggles uh, with Mr. Comey, um, addressing even Mr. Trump's uh, or President Trump's, now President Trump's struggles with her. So there's a lot of defensive work that goes into this book. And where you helped me today was really to see, and it should have been obvious to me, I think, but that I think a lot of women of my generation, and I'm in Hillary Clinton's generation, we're in the same generation of just a few years apart, she's a few years older, but uh, each of us had a mother who was born before women got the vote. You know, I'm sure of that with mine. And I think very likely with hers, knowing her mother's age, and her mother died quite recently. But um, knowing this uh, and then going on and being the only woman in either uh, a college or a professional class and having to struggle. And she was one of, I guess there were about 10% women in her law school, according to the book, but very small group of women. And then the only woman in her law firm in Arkansas. And what you, even just hearing her recount it, you hear the struggle and the trauma that she's endured it's been a battle the whole way and she's joyful and upbeat and very positive and I admire her greatly for that but I think not talking about the toll that these struggles have taken and how hard it is to do these things she does write about going to the inauguration a couple months after the election and listening to President Trump really decry our nation as a horrible place you know, to live—very uh, traumatizing speech to listen to. Oh my God! And that part, for that chapter alone, and having her recount her experience there, it's worth reading this book. Um, so I think that's very important. But then the part of the book that's hard is that she does not and says just straight up that she didn't seek out any therapy or conversations in that venue. She doesn't take any medicines to recover antidepressants, and not that everyone needs to, but she's been through a very series of traumatic events, and just the process of engaging in conversation and therapy, and I'm not saying this solely because I'm a therapist, but also as someone who's really gained a lot from therapy, and it's helped work through the traumatic experiences in my own life, suing the University of California, Class Action, Whole range of different things, but just fighting for women's, you know, advancements. And it's been a long struggle. She discounts really the need for conversations, for therapy, for involvement of this sort. And I found that a limitation on the book that she really doesn't see, that we have to acknowledge the trauma we're going through. And as you recounted these earlier news events, just what we're in the middle of. Here's President Trump engaged in sexual assault with the person. Very, very tragic, but definitely a struggle and definitely one that leaves its scars on us.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge part. And and what that brought up for me is I was having some conversations with my mom because we were having lunch and I had this book in my hand. And we were talking about how from my experience, what I realized is a lot of the rights that a lot of women in my generation take for granted were huge struggles not that many generations ago. And I think that's what I was bringing up with you is that, you know, I think if, if you recognize how close in your history that was, there's more anger there. There's more frustration. And I think it's not that women in my generation aren't frustrated. That would definitely be incorrect. But I think We don't have a lot of these cross-generation conversations, and so we don't see how close I think some of them are. I mean, I was talking to my mom about, so she worked in a very corporate kind of environment, and I think I brought this up in a different podcast, but episode, but I recounted to her about one of my professors sharing that she could not have personal photos in her cubicle because it was seen as her valuing her family over her work. You know, I don't think anybody's ever said that to a man. Also, you know, my mom was talking about how she remembers she was not allowed to wear pants and she had to wear a skirt and just thinking about the fact like this is just my mom's generation so it really is not that long ago you yeah. know and, and that this struggle really is continuing but i think it we have very different perspectives and it's how can we come together to share our experiences because for me one of the big limitations with hillary my frustrations i think when i'm still processing some of it is i think she's so much a token for you know leading this women's movement and pushing women forward and at the same time she's just a human and so she is flawed and i think we expect our tokens to be perfect and so reconciling you know like who she is as a person and who we want her to Mm -hmm. be i think can
0: be a struggle but i i couldn't agree more with what you're saying but i think also to realize Um, how capable she is. Oh, she's
1: very capable. And,
0: you know, with men, we discount a lot of other things. Right. With her, you know, it's that she won't, she's defensive. And uh, that she won't talk about the trauma. She focuses on soldiering on. Yeah. Um, what you're saying about generations is absolutely true. Uh, my grandmother was a suffragette here in America, and um, just thinking about her, and she did not get the vote till relatively late in her life, yeah. and uh, just uh, what that meant to her, how um, you know she had wished to be a doctor and uh, never had that opportunity, even to go very far at school, uh-huh. and I, I think. There are a lot of women like that. I mean, she donated her body uh, to, uh, when she died to uh, yeah. my medical school, and uh, just that kind of uh, connection that women have. But I think talking about the hardship and the trauma is very difficult, and yeah. a lot of women try to avoid that, basically.
1: Yeah, well, I think it is difficult, and I think, I think this idea of soldiering on too is very hard because yes, we do need to move forward we also need to be able to process and and see how it does impact us i think one of the things that i find really beautiful about hillary clinton is she is a fantastic listener yeah. and i think that that is so important especially ironically as a therapist you know mm-hmm. like it's so important to be able to listen and i think she's a very pragmatic person so the combination of her being such a good listener And then being able to come up with pragmatic solutions would have made her a fantastic president. I also think, though, that like she's not able to maybe market herself in that way or I I don't know. I mean, this this is not my area of expertise, political strategizing, you know, but I I do know that I read an article about how she had sort of planned to run a different campaign and that she was. And I think it was also in this book, which is why I'm bringing it up, is She talked about how she was going to go to these different places, she was going to listen, and she was going to address problems, and that's what you want in a president. And And, at the same time, I don't think that she highlighted that this is not how the campaign is typically run, but this is something different. I think one of the struggles for me with her is looking at how she sort of was using the system that was in place, and yet she also seems to acknowledge and recognize that this system is designed to make people like her fail. So so there's this conundrum of like, so why did she try a new system? You know, and for me, be, maybe because I'm younger, it felt sort of like she wasn't trusting that her constituents had her back. So she was gonna keep to this system. Instead of kind of bucking the system and going, I know you guys have my back.
0: In the book, she actually writes about uh, trying to do a middle road with that. And she doesn't have Trump's big rallies, but she feels she's almost criticized for not having those. And they say, now you needed those. But she does have these listening sessions embedded in the book. And she really, if anyone wrote her after the election... They should read this book because she thanks more people than I've ever met, Jen, or ever heard thanked in a book. She has all the quotes from Yates to uh, Tubman, Harriet Tubman, and, and they're wonderful, wonderful quotes. And she thanks everyone. So everyone out there should think that you're thanked by Hillary for your efforts in this. But that's who she is. She is that great listener. She is a grateful person. And that is something that uh, I think the male power system really doesn't go with. Well, it doesn't value it. It's not valued, but that's who she is. And that is a wonderful part of this book. So it's got that kind of homespun wisdom. And although Wisconsin, my state, did not vote for her, um, she's got a lot of quotes from uh, women and men from Wisconsin. And uh, I think that's important to really take account of that she is different but I think she's afraid to say she is or the marketing people don't want to say she is because it's not going to go the direction they think it should but that's who she is and I think there again we get back to how therapy helps us understand who we are so that we can go forward most effectively.
1: Yeah. I mean, what it brings up for me, too, is we were talking about sort of some of these different strategies she uses. And I think, as you said, you know, like with this with this system, it's it's not designed to value the same things that she that are her strengths. And I think her she needed to be able to come out and state that. And I think having therapy is one of the ways in which you can recognize these things. And then create a picture. I mean, that's a lot of what leadership, I think, is, is is helping people see a picture of a different future. And, and, you know, there are negative ways to do that and positive ways to do that. But I think if she had been able to kind of craft this narrative, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But like, if she had been able to show people what she was doing, I think many people would have... Back to that. I mean, a lot of the criticism that came out was she wasn't listening Mm
0: -hmm. in the
1: right places, but certainly, like, was Trump listening? I don't think so. He was listening to himself in anger. (laughs) One thing he did tap
0: into really well was the anger and rage that people were feeling about the injustice. And it's also stoking the anger. Yeah. You know, so that's a kind of self made system there of doing that. No, I think she really is listening so that's important but i think listening to herself and her inner world is also you know a key part of this she does talk a lot about her family her marriage with bill yeah. and just how important that is to her and what a support he's been and discounts uh you know they the commonly held view of their marriage that's one of convenience she also talks about her daughter and her two grandchildren, especially Charlotte, the older one, and uh, just the relationships there. And that was important for me as a grandmother because I think it's often discounted how important that part of women's lives really is and what a contribution grandmothers make to our country. Yeah. So she puts down or, or you know, minimizes some of her achievements, but that comes out in this book. I also thought of you, Jen, because you... You and I walked through the rain in San Francisco on the Women's March today, yeah. and it was pouring here. <laughs> right. It was hours of uh, <laughs> cold and uh, you know wonderful things. I mean, Joan Baez was out here singing, and things that meant a lot to me and to have all the other women and men there, yeah. and it was wonderful. But she talks about what that day meant to her, and uh, I think again she's very, very grateful to the men and women in our country who marched. So again, that's important to read. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think what's so interesting is so many times, I think people are so critical of her. And I think it's, it's interesting because it's figuring out, you know, she was so attacked for all her life. And it's hard to put ourselves in her shoes, I think, and really think about like, what would I have done if that had happened? I can theorize about it. I can say, I think I would have done these things, you know, but to have your life be so under the microscope and to really be trying your best to help a lot of the people in the world. I think having to live the public and the private for so long and in such a way, I think is a very hard thing for anyone to go through.
0: I would agree. I've read, uh, uh two of her earlier books and one that dealt largely you know with the scandals with uh, her husband right and uh, again uh she ends that book uh, by talking about her prayer group and her strength there and the soul drawn yeah. kind of future it brings us back to the question of how you know therapy and getting help for ourselves is really important in this book she talks about breathing techniques yeah and how breathing helps and I will say I'm a yoga fan, and I'm a breather, and I'm there every day, but it does not take away the therapeutic process and what that can really do for all of us. So again, that's something that comes through in this book, that you feel for her. How does she get through this trauma, you know, other than soldiering on? How will she go on in the future? Could she, with more insight, craft that kind of dream that Americans will really follow? Uh, Obama was able to do that. He experienced some trauma. But, uh, you know, he's a man and it's easier for men. You know, that's really clear. Um, so this book uh, raises a lot of questions. Uh, the New York Times review said that it was uh, full of grudges and little compartments for grudges. And um, that is part of Hillary Clinton. But I, I thought it was less in this book. Than, uh, her other work and in her speeches so I, I think it's really valuable for people to read
1: well i think what, what you bring up there too right before you were talking about the new york times comment is women are so often defined by their husbands and i think that's been a really hard thing for her to get around or behind or through because i mean on on this public stage you have someone who is you know basically stating that they're sexually assaulting people and people are trying to just kind of brush it off. But also if you have a husband who has done something, which Bill Clinton is well-known for his scandal for, you know, it's it's very hard for her then to to stand up and say, hey, this is not okay, and at the same time have never talked about her experience. And because she's a woman, she's so identified in the public's with that and I think so I think there were a lot of struggles there that were very personal to her situation as well
0: right and a little bit of this is brought out in the book that uh, how it, it felt to her yeah. um, she had talked more about it in this earlier book but not as completely and uh, you know the kind of the hashtag yes every woman referring to harassment and the, uh, okay. the widespread implications of it you know, how we've all suffered from that. You know, and she does talk about that. But I think it's very hard for her, you know, to admit uh, weakness uh, when the soldiering on part is such a key part of it. Yeah. And I think for my generation, many of them were really not able to admit how stressful and the toll that this has taken on our own lives, really.
1: Mm. So it was seen as a weakness kind of societally, but also personally.
0: Yes, like. a personal weakness. And, and not wanting to express it because we would bring all women down. So all women would go down with us if we express this. So it's really, I know, it's like funny say to say that. Can you that, to actually. that
1: a bit more? Child? Yeah,
0: because the connection is there between women. So if you express weakness you bring the other women down with you. Instead of that by talking about weakness, we will become stronger and we'll find the points and we'll sew them up and, you know, go forward. But yes, I don't think it's entirely self-protective with Hillary. I think it's actually about protecting Chelsea and Charlotte and you and me and all of us. So uh, I know that because of the generational perspective But the fact that women don't even talk about that is is somewhat upsetting.
1: Well, that's why, you know, it's interesting because this is something I wasn't aware of, which is why, you know, I asked you to thank you for (laughs) explaining it that way because I, up until this point, I I hadn't thought about it that way because I think also I had a very different upbringing. I've talked about, I went to a private all-girls school raised to very much believe in female empowerment and the power Mm -hmm. of coming together. So hearing this idea of, you know, a big part of what I was taught was being vulnerable was strength because it connected you to other people. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, you recognize that you were not the only one who was weak and that we're all human and we're all flawed, but together we can form this patchwork quilt, basically, that is very strong together. So it's very interesting to hear just kind of how different generationally those concepts are and obviously how it would affect the choices and decisions that you make for yourself personally but also as a community
0: so the idea from my generation of soldiering on is that you don't expose this right and it would expose weakness for other women instead of that we're joined really by our vulnerabilities and you you put it
1: in the women's march
0: exactly And I think she felt that and expresses that in the book, that women could march in pain and anger and reaction to this type of trauma is really, really important. You know, we march in defeat and in victory. Right.
1: And I think being able to see it, too, I know for so many of some of the teen girls and even the teen boys that I was working with, it was so powerful to see that it was happening around the world. And that it was in response to all of this. And I think a lot of why so many of these news things are coming up and things are finally being done is the fact that she lost in in this crazy election is making people say no more. I will not be silent anymore. And I think coming together immediately after and seeing everybody... It just emphasizes how much, yeah, you have to come together in those tough times. And your willingness to be vulnerable, emotionally vulnerable, particularly, it builds strength. And that's the way forward.
0: Yes. And I think, if anything, that's what this book should do for others, you know, who read it. It should inspire them that she's one voice, but she's speaking for a lot of us. And, uh, you know, adding on the parts that we have to speak together about this, which her book stimulates. We are talking.
1: Right. You We're know, talking and about it. uh, it's
0: important to discuss all of this, you know, what happened and what is going to happen. I think that's really the bigger question. You know, how can we change the future? You know, talking about something as horrible as, as this, and this is horrible this last election and then what's happened during these months and the impact of this on those girls and boys in our offices and all over the world, you know, it's really a tragedy. You know, and she is a voice in this and really a leader in this, even with the flaws that we expect everyone to have.
1: And I think one of the very interesting things to, to kind of build on that and maybe also kind of close this out is, what I see that's very interesting is, there's so many people who are angry at her. A lot of them are men and telling her basically like she should go away. She should, you know, like she should be quiet, shut up. And it's very fascinating to me as a therapist to look at these dynamics and like she's done all these things. Like she has a right to
0: have this voice. Like,
1: why so much like vitriol towards her? Well, I think that's
0: the silencing of women. And, uh, you know, we haven't really talked about in depth, but there's a whole section in the book talking about the, the Pew studies and, you know, about women's responses and a men's responses and the world's responses to having women leaders. And one of them is to say, go away. You know, you didn't win, now go away. You're a woman, you didn't win, you're you're devalued out of this situation. But her voice is still there. And I'm, I want to know what she's going to do in the future. Yeah, I mean, she's not that old. She was younger than Trump. We've got possibilities here. And I think that's really important. You know, how do you pick up and go forward? And taking into account that women just got the vote, you know, less than 100 years ago in America. That, to me, is just still incredible. Like, that it was yeah. that recent. I yeah. think it's so powerful. But I think you help me to see, uh, Jennifer. That in having these conversations, we include your mother, my grandmother, all of these women who haven't had, really, the opportunities to speak out that we have. And uh, Hillary opens up possibilities for all of us.
1: She does know. open up possibilities, and I think what you help me see too is, you know, we do have generational differences, and I think it helps me better understand some of those things that I do see as flaws in Hillary and the frustrations that I have in terms of who I would like her to be and who she is and those barriers.
0: Yeah, well, thank you, Jennifer. It's been great. Come on, about sex.